Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 91. So in December, we had a sermon series on the nature of true faith. And I really enjoyed that series, but I felt like something was missing, that there was still an important area of faith that we hadn't had the opportunity to address yet. And so I asked Walt if we could extend that sermon series uh, one week farther into January, and he agreed. So um, we're going to look at the nature of true faith one more time. And the nature of faith that I want to think about today is practical faith. So some of you may be looking for a job, or you may be looking for a job in the future. So what does it look like to trust God for a job? Some of you may desire to be married. So what does it look like to trust God for a spouse? Some of you may be experiencing trouble with your children. So what does it look like to trust God's work in the life of your children? Some of you may be experiencing stress with money. So what does it look like to trust God with our finances? Some of you may be experiencing health struggles or be impacted by the health struggles of others. So what does it look like to trust God in the area of physical health? All of us are struggling with sin uh, and struggling in the area of Christian obedience. So what does it look like to trust God in the midst of that, living for God? So, and I think there are many more examples. But today, I just want to think about practical faith. What does it look like to trust God practically in the details of your life? And I think we can learn about this from Psalm 91. So I'm going to read it for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On, your hands they will, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. God, we do thank you for speaking to us through your word and revealing yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that you show us that we can trust you. Lord, we see especially at the cross that we can trust you, that you were willing to give your son, to take on yourself what we deserve for our sins so that we could be saved. 
we see the depth of your love, and so we know we can trust you. Lord, teach us what that looks like in practice. Show us how to rely on you and trust you as a loving father throughout our lives. And Lord, we do bring our needs to you, and we um, trust you with um, our needs, and we trust you with whatever comes our way. Lord, speak to us now and encourage us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God protects his people. Psalm 91 reminds us, we already know this, but Psalm 91 reminds us that we live in a dangerous world full of many threats. So we live in a world of health problems. Uh, Verse 6 talks about pestilence, and verse 10 talks about plagues. We live in a world of violence. Uh, Verse 5 talks about the arrow that flies by day. We live in a world of war. Uh, Verse 7 talks about thousands falling in battle. We live in a world of evil. Verse 10 talks about evil. So we know that we live in a dangerous world full of many threats. And Psalm 91 teaches us that God protects his people. Uh, He protects us like a tank. Uh, Verse 1 says that God is a shelter. Verse 2, that he is a refuge and a fortress. Verse 4 says that he is a shield and a buckler. A buckler is like a little shield. Um, But basically, we live in a dangerous world with all kinds of threats uh, flying around. But if we are in relationship with the Lord, it's like we're in a tank. He protects us. God also protects his people like a mother bird. He protects us tenderly and lovingly. Verse 4 says, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Pinion is just part of the wing. So God protects his people like a mother bird caring for her young. God also protects his people with angels, uh, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I wish that I could put a picture of an angel on the slide. Uh, I don't know what angels look like. All I know is that they are terrifying. Because every time someone in the Bible sees one, the first thing that the angel always has to say is, uh, don't be afraid. (laughs) So uh, I know the angels are terrifying. And I know that God sends his angels to protect us. So Psalm 91 gives example after example. That's basically what the whole psalm is. Examples showing us that God protects us. And in verse 14, it simply says, God says, I will deliver you. I will protect you. So God protects his people. And the reason that God tells us this over and over again is because he wants us to trust him. So verse 2 says, or shows us the response that we should give to this knowledge. We should say, my God in whom I trust. So God protects us. So we should trust God. Let's pray. Um, I, obviously, uh, <laughs> that'd be funny though, wouldn't it? Shortest sermon ever. Um, obviously, it's, it appears to be more complex than that. Uh, so, Psalm 91 tells us that God protects us from sickness. So, I'm not going to share any gory details, but I will tell you that two weeks ago, I must have eaten something bad, or I must have gotten a flu bug or something, because I was up all night, with sickness. Uh, So whatever it means that God protects us from sickness doesn't mean that I can't be sick. 
And Psalm 91 says that God protects his people from violence and evil. But I was in Madrid from 2004 to 2006, and while I was there, I was attacked, strangled, and robbed. So two guys uh, forced their way into my apartment complex building and uh, strangled me and took my bag and took the money out of my wallet. So whatever it means that God protects his people from violence and evil, it doesn't mean that I can't get attacked, strangled, and robbed. So what does it mean? that God protects his people? And what does it look like to trust him? And particularly, what does it look like to trust God with these practical questions of uh, jobs and uh, marriages and children and money and health and, uh, and our own growth and our struggles with sin? What does it look like to trust God practically? So as I was thinking about this, I kept thinking of it in terms of a roadmap. And so, finally, I just decided to commit to that idea, so here you go. Here is our roadmap. Uh, so you are, or we are, the driver, and we're trying to figure out the right path. What does it look like to trust God appropriately? And so I would say one wrong turn... ...would be to live with naive optimism. So God says that my life will be long and satisfying, that I will be healthy and happy, that nothing bad will ever happen to me. I trust God, and so I know life is going to be great. So that would be naive optimism. A famous pastor wrote a famous book in which he gave some examples of what uh, he thought it means to live by faith, and I, th I think some of them are naive optimism. Uh, or a good example of that. So, for example, he said that he and his wife were walking through a neighborhood one day, and they saw a house under construction. And it was beautiful and massive, and it was uh, still under construction, so there wasn't a front door. And so they walked in and looked around the house while it was still under construction. And they thought, this is incredible. What a beautiful, big house. And they walked out of the house onto the sidewalk, and the pastor's wife said to him, we are going to live in a house like that. And the pastor said, um, no, we're not. <laughs> because uh, I know what's in the bank account, and I know how much we make, and we're not going to live in a house like that. And the wife said, no, I, I believe God. I believe God that he is going to provide us with a house like that. And uh, she convinced him day after day, and finally he agreed. And he said, all right, let's believe God for a house like that. And a few years later, they were able to uh, build their own house that was as big and as beautiful as, as the house that they had seen. And I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful to God for uh, providing for their needs generously, uh, but I don't think that is actually a good example of what it means to live by faith. I think that is an example of naive optimism. And Psalm 91, I think, gives us some indications that na naive optimism is a mistake. So in verse 15, God says, I will be with him in trouble. In, in the midst of a psalm that tells us over and over again that uh, God's going to protect us and that we can trust him, the psalm itself assumes that that doesn't mean that we're not going to face trouble. Um, and then also in uh, verses, verses 11 to 12 are the verses, or some of the verses that Satan used to tempt Jesus in Matthew 4. 
um, Satan said to Jesus, come on, Jesus, jump off this, you know, 300-foot-tall point of the temple because you know that Psalm 91 says that uh, angels will catch you, and then once people see that, then they'll, you'll get a big following as the Christ, and you can have a big following without going to the cross. And, and Jesus says, well, you have misunderstood the nature of Psalm 91. It is not a personal guarantee that I can survive a jump off of a temple, and I'm not going to test God by doing that. Um, so uh, I think in that interaction, Jesus shows that, um, that we shouldn't interpret these verses as a personal guarantee. Uh, so there's, there's indications right in the text that this naive optimism way of trusting God is not right. Also, naive optimism doesn't make sense of human experience. Uh, so we know that many people around the world, including Christians, are suffering due to lack of food, lack of water, lack of education, lack of health care. We know that people around the world, including Christians, are suffering from violence and war. And so naive optimism doesn't make sense of human experience. If we think that naive optimism is the correct way of trusting God, then um, one of two things will happen, and neither of them is good. So first, maybe everything will work out for you. If you live with naive optimism and everything works out for you, there will be problems. Um, you may become proud of your faith, and you may be tempted to judge others for having faith that isn't as strong as yours. Uh, you, if, if something does happen to you, then you might be seriously shaken, and uh, you might doubt God's faithfulness, you might doubt the truth of Christianity entirely. So if you live with naive optimism and everything works out for you, then there will still be problems. Or maybe things don't work out for you, and then you will feel terrible. You will think there's something wrong with your faith, that you might not even be a Christian, You'll be doubting God's faithfulness. You might even doubt Christianity itself. So if we are living with naive optimism, we've taken a wrong turn. But we are, we've also taken a wrong turn if we live with cynicism or pessimism. Over on this side, the, the problem is that we think that everything is all on us. We're cynical or pessimistic that God is going to do anything at all. And... I think that my guess is that more people in this room are on this side, have fallen off on this side, than on the other side. We know the reality that um, bad things happen to people all the time, and we have a sense, maybe, that if anything's going to happen, it's up to us to do it. And so instead of trusting God, we just trust in ourselves. And the problem with this view of trusting God is that Psalm 91 is in the Bible. Um, in verse 14, God says that he's going to take care of us. He says that he will deliver us and protect us. And in verse 2, uh, we are taught to trust God. It says, my God in whom I trust. So living with cynicism or pessimism is also a mistake. And if we do, one of two things will happen, and neither of them is good. So first, everything could work out for you. And I think that is the situation for a lot of people in this area. A lot of people in this area are not trusting in God, and everything is going really well for them. 
uh, they have their dream job, they have their dream house, they have their dream uh, spouse and uh, kids, uh, at least as far as we can tell, they, they seem very happy, uh, they have nice cars, they may even have a boat, uh, they have a savings plan in place so that when they retire they'll be millionaires, and they have their vacations planned for at least the next two years and probably farther out. Uh, so lots of people in this area and around the world are not trusting God, and it seems like things are going well for them. But there are still problems. Um, so John 15:5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says if we are not trusting in God, that we can't do anything. And he doesn't mean that we can't do anything at all, because people who are not trusting in God obviously have great careers and manage their finances well and have great relationships and great marriages and great kids and lots of fun. And he doesn't mean we can't do anything at all. All he means is that we can't do anything of any eternal significance and we can't do anything in a way that glorifies God. Um, and the reason is because everything we do will be idolatry. We'll be trusting in something that isn't the real God and we'll be worshiping something that isn't the real God. So if we're not trusting in God, maybe, for example, you'll look to your family for comfort instead of looking to God. Uh, maybe you'll look to your careers for significance instead of looking to God. Uh, maybe you'll look to money for security instead of looking to God. Um, and one more. Oh, maybe we'll look for joy in vacations and boats, you know, rather than looking for joy in God. So uh, if we are not trusting in God, then even if things go well for us, we still will not be able to do anything of any eternal significance, and we won't be able to do anything in a way that glorifies God. Also, we'll tend to be proud of ourselves, thinking, well, it was all on me, and I did well, so I must be amazing. Um, and we'll tend to be judgmental of others, like how come they couldn't do as well as I did? Um, God will tend to feel distant because we have no need of him for our daily activities, or at least we think that way. We'll tend to feel invincible because of our success and our wealth, um, but we're not. We know that all it would take is uh, cancer or a car wreck or something, and the whole thing could fall apart. So failing to trust God is a mistake even if things go well for us. And the other option is that things don't go well for us, and then that is not good either. And I think that uh, that is probably where a lot of us are in terms of our fight with sin and our, um, and our Christian obedience. Uh, we, we feel like we're, we're on our own, that uh, it's all up to us and, and things aren't going that well. So maybe you believe that you should have daily quiet time, but you don't. And so you feel like a failure and you believe it all comes down to your own effort. And so your goal or your plan is just to try harder. Uh, maybe you know that you're not supposed to uh, struggle with lust or anger, but you do regularly. And so you feel like a failure and you think it comes down to your own effort. So you're just going to try harder. And if that doesn't work, you'll just make peace with your sin. 
Maybe you know that you're supposed to share the gospel or love your spouse and kids or manage your body and your finances, but you feel like you're not very good at any of that, and so you're going to put together a little self-improvement plan. You're going to try harder, uh, and then if it doesn't work out, then you'll just forget about it. So I think my point is just that uh, this might be where some of us are with regard to our fight against sin and our, um, and our Christian obedience. And if any of that resonates with you, then I would strongly encourage you to take the Sonship course that uh, Carl and Pam Farner and Fred and Jen Newbert are going to be offering starting next Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, here at, at church, because that is what Sonship is all about. Uh, if we are trusting in Christ then the God of the universe has adopted us as his sons and daughters. But the way Sonship puts it is that we tend to live with an orphan mentality, that, um, that we, even though we have a loving father, that we still have this idea that, it, that we're on our own. It's all up to us. We have to fend for ourselves. And Sonship is all about helping us learn to look to our loving father for what we need as opposed, as opposed to just trusting in our own efforts. Um, so if any of that resonates with you, sign up for Sonship. It starts next week, 5 to 7. But if we are cynical and pessimistic about God helping us, then we have taken a wrong turn. And we need to learn to trust our loving Father. So naive optimism is a mistake because it doesn't take seriously the fact that you are a sinner surrounded by other sinners living in a broken world. And it treats Psalm 91 as if it was a, a personal guarantee of a pain-free life. Cynicism and pessimism are a mistake because they don't take seriously the fact that you have a loving father who is redeeming you and who is protecting you and providing for you. And it treats Psalm 91 as if it's not in the Bible. So instead we should trust our loving Father. Um, the Almighty God of verse 1, if you're trusting in Christ, is your God. He is your loving Father who is redeeming you and providing for you and protecting you. God has been very generous to us. Um, he has blessed us in many ways, and we should just be thankful for all the good that he's done uh, for us. And we should trust him that he's going to continue to be generous to us because that is who he is. We should also be hopeful about God's provision and his help uh, for the future with regard to things like jobs and marriages and children and uh, money and health and things like that. Um, but I think that it, it is worthwhile to think, what, what does it mean for things to go well for me? What do I mean by that? Um, do you mean the American dream of jobs and marriages and children and health and money and all these things? And is that what God means when he thinks of things going well for you? And I would suggest that that's maybe not primarily what God thinks when he thinks about things going well for you. But things going well for you would be things like growing in your relationship with him, delighting in his love for you, loving him, trusting him, um, having some of your 
well, having your sin areas shaved off and um, breaking the hold of your idolatries, uh, growing you in your confidence in what Christ has done for you, growing in, you in Christ-like character, growing you in the fruit of the Spirit, giving you joy in serving others, giving you joy in sharing the gospel with others and making you effective for ministry. Um, maybe some of those are the things that God thinks of when he thinks of things going well for you. Uh, Paul David Tripp said that God is willing to sacrifice our happiness for our holiness. And I think that's true. Verse 10 says, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. So I think what that means is that God is not going to allow anything, when, what it means when God protects you, God is not going to allow anything into your life that is ultimately evil for you, that will ultimately harm you. Um, if God allows anything painful into your life, it is because he intends to do you good through it. And I think we can confirm that if we look at Romans 8. Um, Romans 8.28 says, For those who love God, all things work together for good. And then just a few verses later, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So whatever it means that God works all things together for good, it doesn't mean that you won't experience things like tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Um, what it means is that even if those things come, that none of those things can separate you from Christ's love for you, and that if those things come, it's because God intends to do you good through them by shaping your character, cutting away your sinful tendencies, and drawing you closer to him. So we need to learn to trust our loving Father. And trusting our loving Father involves living with repentance and faith. So if you are living with naive optimism, you might think that uh, your sin is just going to magically go away and that you are just going to magically grow in Christ-like character. If you are living with cynicism and pessimism, pessimism, then you might think, my sin is my problem, and I'm just going to try harder on my own. Um, but both of those are mistakes. Trusting your loving Father involves living with repentance and faith. And so um, these are some questions that I have found helpful recently over the last couple months. I, I, I mentioned them a couple weeks ago, but I think they're really important, or they've been important in my life. So um, imagine that you uh, struggle with lustful thoughts. So a question you could ask yourself, a repentance question, could be, what is this sin offering me? Maybe that sin offers you an escape from the stresses of life. What, um, and then another question could be, what do you think that you need besides Jesus in order to be happy? Maybe you feel like you need some excitement or to feel desired. Maybe you feel lonely and you just want to connect with someone. And then repent, um, because like Jesus is the one who offers you those things. So the, the faith questions is, what has Jesus already done for me? Jesus loves you enough to die for you, and he's brought you into a relationship with God forever. And how does Jesus supply your need? Um, whatever the need is, Jesus supplies it. So uh, if you're feeling stressed, uh, 
Jesus supplies your need of being in control and giving you peace. Um, if you feel alone, God supp- Jesus supplies your need um, in the sense that you can connect with him in prayer or you can connect with his people. And then, I think, always finish this process of repentance and faith by praying. Um, Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus Christ to me so that I see that he is all I need and so I won't go looking for happiness in other places. Or, um, another example, imagine that you do really well at work. You've given some project and you blow it out of the water and you're receiving all kinds of praise and recognition for it. I would say, repentance and faith. Uh, What is success offering you? Maybe it is offering you the chance to feel valuable or important or secure. Uh, What do you feel like you need besides Jesus in order to be happy? Maybe you feel like you need to achieve something or to be admired by other people. And then repent. Jesus is all you need. The faith questions. What has Jesus already done for you? Um, You are an utter failure in the only ways that ultimately matter. And Jesus succeeded in your place and uh, brought you into relationship with him forever. How does Jesus supply your need? He gives you the opportunity to glorify him in this life, and he gives you the only recognition that ultimately matters, which is his, um, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then pray, um, Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus Christ to me so that I will see that he is all I need, so I won't go looking for happiness in other places. So um, don't live with naive optimism, thinking that your sin is just going to magically go away uh, or that you're just going to magically grow in Christ-like character. Don't live with cynicism and pessimism, thinking, well, my sin is my problem. Um, My Christian obedience is my problem. Um, But learn to trust your loving Father by living with repentance and faith and trusting the Holy Spirit to grow you. And trusting your loving Father involves relying on him through prayer. So Psalm 91 assumes that we will pray. Uh, In verse 15, God says, When he calls to me, I will answer him. So if you don't pray much, or if you don't think that prayer is all that important, it is because you have taken a wrong turn somewhere. So if, if prayer feels pointless to you because everything is going to be fine anyway, then you're living with naive optimism and you're treating God like a vending machine. If prayer feels pointless to you because he's not going to answer you anyway, he's not going to do anything to help you anyway, then you're living with cynicism and pessimism. You're treating God like he's not there or like he doesn't care for you. Instead, we need to trust our loving Father by relying on him in prayer. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Um, prayer is our way of bringing our needs to God. And so uh, we, should, we should bring our needs to him of uh, jobs and marriages and um, problems with children and uh, whatever it is. And prayer is also our, just our way of connecting with God so that we'll do what we do um, motivated by his grace to us and not motivated by idolatry. And prayer, if things are going real bad, um, prayer is still the way to go um, because we can just pour out our grief to him and, have, um, and draw near to him, the only one who can ultimately comfort us. 
So we need to trust our loving Father by relying on him in prayer. God protects his people. But the greatest threat is not things like sickness, violence, war, evil, or death. The greatest threat in the universe is God. Um, Verse 8, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. The greatest threat in the universe is that God will give you what you deserve for your sin, which is his wrathful judgment. But God protected you. Jesus went to the cross in your place. Jesus took on himself what you deserve for your sins so that you can be protected from the recompense of the wicked, which should have come to you. Jesus protected you. And so you should trust God. Uh, Verse 14 says that God protects us if we know his name. Uh, We need to know and uh, believe the facts about God, uh, that Jesus is God the Son who lived the righteous life that we haven't lived and died on the cross in our place and rose from the dead so that we can be in relationship with God forever. We need to know and believe the facts about Jesus. Um, We also need to hold fast to him in love. It's not enough to just know and believe the facts about Jesus. Um, You must trust that when he died on the cross that he was dying for your sins to put you right with God. And you must love him for it. You must hold fast to him, making him the center of who you are, um, trusting in him. And if you do that, then God has adopted you into his family forever. Verse 16, God says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God is very generous. He gives us many blessings. He already has given all of us many blessings. And he, he will continue because uh, that's who he is. And many of us, because God is a generous God, will live long, satisfying lives. But even if we die today, we have a guarantee, which is that God will show us his salvation. Life is short. Eternity is long. Anything painful that happens in this life will be relativized somewhat a billion years from now. And as we're trusting in Christ, one day we will finally see him face to face. One day, he will finally wipe away every tear from our eyes. And one day, we will finally hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God protects his people forever. So trust your loving father. Let me close this in prayer. God, thank you that we can trust you. We do bring our needs to you. We have many of them. Um, You are a generous God, and we know that we can trust you with them. God, uh, we also trust you no matter what comes our way, knowing that you are using everything in our lives for our ultimate good. And God, we know that we can trust you because of the cross, that you loved us enough to die for us. And so, Lord, we trust you. Help us to learn what it means to live with trust in you in, in in practical ways in our daily lives. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.